We all want it. For a while, I didn't have it. 20 years ago, I hit rock bottom. I lost just about everything. I turned to God for help, and I learned how to handle money His way. As you can imagine, it worked. That's why I started Financial Peace University, because God's ways work. Whether you're in over your head or you're doing okay right now, if you bring home $10,000 or $10 million, if you're 21 or 61, we all need a plan. Millions of people have been through Financial Peace University. They have success stories of their own. They've learned how to get rid of debt, prepare for generations to come, and give like crazy. Your success story, your financial peace is up to you. Now is your time. It's time to take control of your money. It's time to get ready for what God has for you. It's time for financial peace. Morning, church. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to welcome you if you are one of our guests because of spring break. Um, most of our folks, vamanos. And, uh, and so that shows today in our attendance. But we are so glad if you're on spring break and you decided to spend this time with us, glad you're here. You walked in uh, on a series of lessons that I'm calling Money Talks. Yes, we are having the talk. Money talk. And the reason is because our finances in America are a mess. The average credit card debt per family in the U.S. is now $9,333. An average of 14% of a family's income goes to pay that debt. 40% of Americans spend more money than they make. And financial stress has been and may continue to be the number one reported cause of divorce. Dave's right, we need some financial peace. And if you want some practical help, from some folks who have proven they know how to help people do this, please be with us on Wednesday nights starting on March the 25th down in room 107. And we're going to be doing the Dave Ramsey course. Scott Bolton and I are going to team teach that course that we've done every other year for the last seven, eight years. And uh, we want to invite you to be a part of that. Now, just this last week, uh, they contacted us and dropped the cost of our packets from $129 to $99. And so we're passing on that savings to you. Instead of uh, it being $50, we're going to ask you to pay just $30. We'd like for everyone who's a part of this class to have some skin in the game. So we'll pay two-thirds if you'll pay a third. And if you've ever uh, taken this course before, you're allowed to audit it for free. And so just please, if you want to be a part of that and get a refresher, uh, just sign up uh, out in the foyer, and we'd love to make room for you. Now, if those statistics on the screen aren't descriptive of your family, yay God! Good on you. Glad you've got a plan. Because nobody fails. No, nobody. You know the phrase. I'm just not saying it correctly. Nobody plans to fail. They fail to plan. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a good sermon. Uh, but that's Dave Ramsey's little quote. And man, I'll tell you what, it's, just, it's proven true in my life as I try to minister, try to come alongside people and help them with their finances. I just see them failing to plan all the time. And it hurts. 
And we'll talk about that in a little bit more in a minute. Which is probably why Jesus talked about money a lot. This is the second reason that we're talking about money is because he talked about it often. One-sixth of all of his recorded statements are about money. One-third of his recorded parables are connected to money. And it's interesting that a religious rabbi like himself who taught so much about money never asked anybody for it. God knew how much, though, we'd struggle with it. And so he offers us guidance on how to manage the money that we're blessed with in a way that both honors him and blesses us. And so the foundation of this series is actually one of Paul's observations about how Jesus did deal with the little money that he had. Actually, he talked about all of the wealth that he actually had as king of this universe. Here's what Paul writes to a church that he hoped would let go of some of their money to help some Christians in Jerusalem who needed it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Now, I'd like for us to have this as more than just a a foundational statement for our series on money. I'd like for us to have it as a foundation for our lives. Zane, would you go ahead and put it back up for one more time? Would you guys please read this with me? Okay, let's see in it a little bit more than just me saying it. Here we go. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Let's pray. Father, we get uneasy when talking about money, and we understand why. You said so much about it because it is, it's so personal to us. And we, we like being in charge of it. We like calling the shots with it and for it. And as you nudge us to something a little bit different, to a little bit different perspective that's out of this world, that it actually belongs to you, we need your help helping us to get comfortable with that. And even if we're not comfortable with it, become obedient to you to whom all things belong. Now, we're not the only ones who struggle with money and how to handle it in this world, God. Barnett Chapel is full of disciples of Christ that would would also ask you, please help them with their money and how they handle your money. We're asking today, Father, for you to help us with all of our lives. For some of us, we're we're struggling with something that's, that's far removed from any cash in our pocket or not in our pocket. There's medical things we're struggling with, relational things we're struggling with. Just our hearts are broken, some of us, over loss of lives that have been close to us, and we don't know how we're going to function without them. And so we're asking God, please, would you come in these words today, and would you bless us in a way that only your Holy Spirit can, for we ask it humbly in Christ's name, and everyone said. Before I can talk about how to hang on to more of your money than ever, I want to hopefully plant deep in our hearts some principles from the Word of God that are literally forever. Even past the time in this world will money be of no use to anyone. I want to talk about some values that I think give direction to managing our hearts and our minds before we say anything about managing credit cards or savings accounts. And here's why. Because I believe with all my heart to experience real financial peace, I'm going to have to have an attitude that really is out of this world. At least it's not the norm in this world. And that's unselfishness. 
and selfishness. It's the attitude of the cross that says, it's not about me. At the root, I think, of some of the dumbest decisions I've ever made isn't because I've made poor use of investment advice. And it's not because of poor management skills. For me, I can be honest and say, it was me thinking about me. And that's one of the things that we're trying our best in this series to make foundation in our understanding of how we handle money in this world. It's not about me. Two brothers went to a restaurant, and they were both deciding they're going to order some fish, and so the waiter brings it to the table, and he serves both of them their pieces of fish, but he does it on one large platter. Well, one piece on the platter was noticeably larger than the other, and so the older brother, of course, picked up the platter, put the largest piece on his plate, and he left the smaller for his younger sibling. Well, the younger sibling became a little indignant. He said, well, you've got some nerve taking the biggest piece of fish for yourself. And the older brother said, well, how would you have divided it up? And the younger brother said, replied, I would have offered you the biggest fish, and I would have kept the small one for myself. And the older brother said, so what's the problem? I have it. Now, on the surface, the bottom line results the same, isn't it? But the heart that it was done with makes all the difference in the world. It just does. Because church financial peace is as much a matter of the heart as it is getting out of debt and buying the right mutual fund. We're going to talk a great deal about unselfishness in this series. We're going to talk a great deal about it's not about me thinking. Because if I get selfish and if I keep making it about me, it will absolutely kill any financial strategy we point you to. Author Dave Ramsey, as you saw on the screen a few moments ago, wrote in his book, Total Money Makeover, if you want to learn how to manage your resources well, then you learn from those who manage their resources well. We go, well, duh. That's a no-brainer, right? Well, actually it is. And that's why last week we watched the wealthiest man who's ever lived die. Because even when Jesus was dying on a cross and would have been afforded, I think, by any of us, a moment of being selfish. He just wasn't. He was always thinking about someone else, even in his death. We saw through an ear, we saw through an eye, and some unfinished family needs that he took care of on the cross of all places. On the cross, we were watching Jesus pay for our sin debt and putting his needs last. So if you want to experience financial peace, let me say it again. Number one, you need an attitude of unselfishness or it's not about me. Number two, you need an attitude of stewardship. That it's all his stuff anyway. Now, stewardship's not a word that we use very much, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that next. Manager or management is probably a word that we use a great deal more. But we need an attitude of stewardship. Now, I want to hit the pause moment before we go a little bit further, because um, if you're not a Jesus follower, what I'm about to say really doesn't apply to you. Now, it could if you're here today and you're kind of kicking some tires and, and kind of seeing what this, this Christianity thing's all about, and we are so glad you're here, but what I'm about to say really doesn't apply to you at all. It applies only to those who are followers of Christ. But if you become a follower of Christ, it'll apply to you too. You see, when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, remember Christians? We confessed, I, I am not 
I'm not up to driving this life of mine anymore. I'm appointing you the driver. I'm appointing you the sovereign. I'm appointing you the Lord. You drive this thing. I'm allowing you. I'm not just saying to God, please forgive me for all the mistakes I've made while I've been driving. I'm saying, I, I want you to drive. And that's an entirely different animal. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's going to remind some folks who've forgotten that they've made him the driver, who've forgotten that they've made him the sovereign and the Lord, and they're thinking that their sexuality is their own business, thank you. Paul says, not on your life, because it's not your life. It belongs to me. Paul says specifically, have you forgotten that your body is a sacred place? the place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? God owns the whole works. And so let people see God in and through your body. And so we pledge to do that. God, we want people to see you in and through my marriage, in and through how I work at at, a place of employment. I want want the world to see Jesus in, in how I manage my 401K and how I discipline my kids in my heart, my bank account, everything. Why? Because they're his. Where we get ourselves into stinking thinking financially speaking and sexually speaking and relationally speaking is when we decide that there are certain aspects of my life that are off limits to this story impacting my story. And if that sounds like less of a life, I want to say as one satisfied customer, oh no. (laughs) It means more. And if you're a disciple of Christ and you're a satisfied customer and you found out that serving Jesus means more, not less, would you say amen? Amen. A lot of satisfied customers here. But many of the problems we would say, honestly, of our families and many problems of our nation, and many problems of the world, is coming to an understanding of whose this stuff is anyway. Many of the problems of my marriage have come from whose stuff is this anyway. Many problems of Congress is whose stuff is this anyway. Many of the problems over in the Middle East is about whose land that is anyway. And deep within us comes this voice that has to be a part of the fall of humanity When we hear it come out of our mouth, it's mine. That's whose it is. It's mine. (laughs) Now, it's one of the very first signs of the fallenness of humanity that comes out of one of our children's mouths. It amazes me. I I, I have to teach. I'm going to have to teach Nora. Okay, she's only three months old now, and so she'll be learning how to talk in two days. So (laughs) she's only three months old, but we're going to have to teach her things like how to say pops and nana. And how to say mama and daddy and puppy and bottle and Dallas Cowboys. We're going to have to teach her how to say those things, right? Yeah. But we don't have to teach her how to say mine. No. She'll learn that all on her own. And she'll say it loudly and clearly as any one of her first words. It is mine. Sister, financially... Specifically, if you want to experience peace in your life, it's going to mean settling whose it really is. And we're going to see in this morning's lesson, I hope, that it's all his stuff anyway. It really is. Stewardship one-on-one is this simply. God owns it all. Say that with me. God owns it all. One more time. God owns it all. Easy to say, right? 
hard to live. Listen to David, though, in Psalms chapter 24. He says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How much? Everything. The world and all who live in it, it all belongs to him. Moses says, to the Lord your God belong the heavens and even the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it. Directly from the Lord himself, God is recorded by Job in a face-to-face conversation by saying this. God says, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Through David, God says these words, I have no need of a bull from your stall or a goat from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine. God can say mine. I can't very well. The cattle on a thousand hills, mine. I know every bird in the mountains, every insect in the fields, they are all mine. Interesting. God not only uh, owns the cows, he owns the bugs. Isn't that crazy? He owns it all because everything in the world that's in it is his. Everything. God claims. He has claim on all of it all. As a matter of fact, the very first Bible verse makes it clear that God creates the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, He made it all. And if He made it, it's His. It's His. And I don't claim to be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but if you chaff under the idea that someone else can actually teach you about how to be married... That someone else should teach you about how you handle yourself sexually? If you chaff under the idea of someone telling you about how you should use the resources that you've been blessed with, then you almost have to come to the conclusion that all of this around us is an accident. You do. You almost have to be an atheist and think that all of this creation is accidental. Because if it's accidental, it's impersonal. I mean, walking along the, uh, the park lot here after lunch is over, you find a quarter on the ground. Anybody here have a problem with picking up the quarter and putting it in your pocket? I mean, it's an accident, right? Someone lost it, but I found it. And, and for a lot of folks in this world, that's a convenient idea about how all of this world got made. It was an accident. Boom. No, I'm sorry. Bang. And it just happened. Because if it just happened and nobody's responsible for it, I'm not responsible to them for it. It is a convenient logic, but it's not a very rational logic because even those of us who find the quarter on the the pavement probably have a clue somebody made that. It didn't just happen over billions and billions of years, and that's a quarter. It's not a brain. It's not this incredible system of seasons that we live in and atmospheres and planets. Are you kidding me? No, that's, a, that's an understanding of convenience because I don't want anybody telling me what to do with my stuff. This is a top-button truth. It's why we're starting here in this discussion of money because if we don't get the top button right, everything else is wrong. I walked around during, uh, before services and I had my shirt buttoned wrong. And people noticed but nobody said anything. <laughs> I see them talking to me as I'm holding my juice and my muffin and they would look at the shirt. And there was that moment where they would think, should I? No. Maybe I'm just seeing things. And it was buttoned wrong. At least two or three people saw me. Dow, you're one of them. 
And nobody would tell me, you jerk. No, I'm just telling you. I got my shirt button wrong. Shouldn't somebody tell me, hey, sportsman, the button's messed up. A lot of us have our shirts button wrong. In our marriages, we have our shirts button wrong when handling our finances. For heaven's sakes, we've had our shirts button wrong about just getting out of bed and getting yourself to work. Shouldn't those of us in the body of Christ that love each other say something? I'm trying. I'm trying. Because God needs to have a word with you about his money. He needs to have a word with you about your your marriage, because it's his marriage. And your kids, because they're his kids. And he needs to have a word with you about your retirement, because it's his retirement. And we get a little funky about that. And so here's what I'd like you to do, parents. I like, I'd like you to go home today, or at least on the way home. As you leave the parking lot here, put the key in the ignition, turn it on, and say to your kids, this is God's car. And when you drive into the driveway and you park, and you say, this is God's house. And when you sit down at the table for lunch, you say, this is God's food. And when you sit down after the meal to watch golf like all Christians should, you say, this is God's TV. Okay? And when you're watching the Cowboys play, you say, this is God's team. Right? All right, thank you. I knew I'd get at least one. I knew it wouldn't come from Clark, chief fan. Now, one thing I'd like for you to do, but you know it's probably going to be a little bit more of a struggle is because of how we handle money today is that we rarely handle money. We have a card. And so a little bit of this gets lost. So maybe, parents, it would be good if you didn't slide the card to the pump, but you took your kids in and you said, this is God's money that pays for God's gas that makes our car go. More on that one next week. That is an out-of-this-world way of thinking of my house, my car, and my marriage, my TV, and my money. It's an extraordinary way of thinking about my house, my car, and my TV, and my money. But I'm in the middle of an extraordinary relationship with the creator of the universe. And it's all his. Because I'm his. Amen? It's his. We've got to get that right. And we're going to talk about the importance of actually teaching that to our kids, making sure if they get anything, they get this top-button truth like, it's all his stuff anyway. Now, I've not said one thing about money. Probably anybody in this room could agree with maybe something about the Dallas Cowboys, but not money. I won't get an email arguing with me that God owns everything, at least on a surface level. We're all going to agree. The problem is, is we keep it on a surface level. And so I'm about to get a little dangerous this week, but probably more so next week as we dig a little bit deeper into this because there are some life-altering implications to actually living under the truth that God owns it all. One of them is this, is if he really does own it all, I need to be grateful for his stuff. Don't you say thank you when someone gives you something? And yet, we, even we in this room, struggle with gratefulness. But I ought to be grateful for his stuff if I honestly believe it's a gift from him. See, one of the dangers of saying my money a lot fosters a myth of autonomy. That I'm my own master. 
How many of you here have seen the classic movie from Jim, Jimmy Stewart was in called Shenandoah? If you want to go to heaven, you have to watch this movie. It's about a family attempting to survive life during the midst of the Civil War. And in one of the more known scenes in the movie, Jimmy Stewart, the head of the family, is a widower now. He's lost his wife. He's not much of a church, wasn't much of a church attender when she was alive. But after his wife dies, he takes the kids to church because he knew she would have wanted him to. And here in this scene you're about to see, it's Sunday lunch, and he knows that she would want him to say a prayer before they ate. And so here's Jimmy's prayer. Listen closely. Remember the volume. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. Now, that's a man who has respect for his wife's God, and I think that's honorable. But I want you to understand something. God wants more than your respect. He wants your allegiance. Now, whether Jimmy understands it or not, God gave him even the capacity to be able to farm that land and to pick those crops. God gave him the capacity to create life for those kids that are all around that table. God gave him those things. He's not aware of it yet here before this prayer. But I expect more of you. God expects more of us because we are aware that it's all His stuff. We just said a while ago, He owns it all. And we believe that. But what often happens in this world is that God gives us a capacity to farm and harvest and develop microchips and supersonic jets and repair roofs and repair carburetors and it quickly devolves into our propensity to take credit for it. I did this, becomes our motto. And maybe it's not spoken, but it's something that we said. And so God knew we'd struggle with thinking that. And so when he was preparing Israel to cross from Jordan into the Promised Land about 1500 B.C., he says this, it's a good land, all right? And I'm going to show you favor in it. But you will do well there if you... Show me the screen, next screen, guys. Is anybody on the, on the scripture? There we are. If you make sure you don't forget that God, your God, make sure you don't forget God, your God, by not keeping his commandments, his rules and regulations that I command you today. Make sure that when you eat and are satisfied and you build pleasant homes and you settle in and you see herds and flocks flourish and more and more money comes in and you want your standard of living go up and up and up, you make sure that you don't become so full of yourself and your things, you forget God, your God. If you start thinking to yourselves, I did all this all by myself, I'm rich, it's all mine, well, think again. And remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all this wealth so as to conform, to confirm the covenant that he promised to you and your ancestors as it is today. I don't know about you, but I needed that reminder this week. I needed that. Not only is this stuff yours, but all the stuff I have, you gave me the capacity to be able to, to bring it into my life. And I just want to say thank you, God. The authors of Scripture make it clear that none of us is capable of making it on our own without the direct involvement of God. And when we actually get this, 
And it registers deep in our heart that we, we're not responsible for it. It's a gift to receive. I think it's the heart of, of us beginning to become grateful. Not just that we ought to be grateful, but we actually get it. It's a gift. Like someone would get my lunch today, or, or like someone would get me... Uh, <laughs> I hope I don't embarrass him. First year that I'm here, I got one of the strangest gifts I have ever gotten in my life. Burl Wright gave me a pair of loafers. Clark's loafers. And, and at first I thought... Well, that's nice. I'd rather have had a gun. No, I, you know I'm not a gun. I'm a bow hunter. But I, I saw the shoes. I thought, well, these are nice, and they, they, were, they were nice shoes. I've worn them out the last seven years. I just got another pair of them yesterday that I paid for this time. But I sent him a picture of those shoes this weekend, and I said, here's what you gave me seven years ago. And I've worn them out. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was a gift. It's easy to be grateful when you understand, I hope you're hearing this, it's a gift. I didn't earn that. I, he, oh, he didn't owe me that. And yet, some way, somehow, I think God owes me. And what Scripture's trying to say is, is, no, it's all a gift. And when that finally hits my heart, it's amazing how Thanksgiving comes out of my heart. The very last verse of a very large psalm book actually within the Word of God, the book of Psalms says this, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Friend, if you can breathe, you ought to be thanking God. Because it is His air you're breathing. We rarely stop to think about even that small thing. We thank God for the moments that take our breath away. But we rarely stop to thank God that we can even take a breath. Oxygen comes into my lungs, and through a very complicated process, my body transmits that oxygen down through uh, blood into certain parts of my body so that they need fuel and energy. Some of that fuel and energy hasn't made it to my mouth this morning. Have you noticed? It's a little out of discombobulation there. But that's how it works. Air comes in, and there's this transfer that goes on inside my lungs of carbon dioxide that's got to go out. And you didn't give any thought to you breathing probably until I just brought this up. And you may not hear another word I say because of it. Everybody breathe in. And breathe out. You can only do that because of God. It's His air. It's His air. And you know what? The Word of God says one day He's going to say enough. No more air. And you will have breathed your last. And the myth that you think that you're an independent creature, that it's all about you, and it's all up to you, will be exposed immediately. And so the greatest songbook ever compiled closes in the very last verse with this, if you can breathe, praise God. From whom all blessings flow, Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. When we get this, we can't help but worship. Because we don't get it, we can't help but worry. We worry because we think we're the owners. 
We worry because we think we can't control what's threatening to take our things away from us. And so we're worried about loss of control. And so we, we can't sleep. No, we won't sleep. We won't sleep until we get this right, that God owns it all. I hope you agree with that. The second implication is this. If I, if I really do believe that he owns it all, I, I think that's going to stir me to being gracious for his stuff, but I also think it's going to stir me, it's going to be grateful for his stuff, but it's also going to stir me to be gracious for his stuff and with his stuff. Now we're going to talk about that next week because we're out of time, but what I want to do this morning is while it's fresh on our hearts about how amazing just the air we breathe has been given to us. I want us this morning to just celebrate that and let that sink deep in our hearts to help us manage our money well. So I'm going to ask you to stand, please. And this morning, we're just going to spend the next couple of moments just giving this incredible God who's blessed us with so much all the praise our hearts can muster. And you know what? If you're not a Christian this morning and something surged you to want to say yes to Christ, come find me. We'll make sure you don't leave here. Not a part of our family. But if you're a part of our Christian family, I just pray that you just raise the roof with giving praise to this amazing God who's made it all, who owns it all, and who loves to share. Let's praise Him.